Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm really looking forward to get to know where you're coming from and uh, what you're all about. So if you got a couple of minutes, may I ask you, where does life begin for you? Where are you from? I am from Metro Detroit, so Michigan. Currently, I live in Livonia, Michigan. And um, yeah, I mean, it's really fun because I'm kind of at a hub where I can go 20 minutes one way and see the scene of Detroit where there's an active literary scene. And I can go 20 minutes another way and go to Ann Arbor where there's an active literary scene. So I feel pretty Mm. lucky. Nice. Did you have a, a, like that literary environment growing up when you were younger? I didn't, I didn't know anything about it really. Um, (laughs) until I got, let's see, I was in third grade, I think when I was really introduced to the writing bug and I had this teacher, Mr. Ketch, who decided to show us the, the, the web that you can create for, for stories. So you'll have like a general, um, like a hub idea, and then you branch out to um, more specific ideas and then you branch out again into even more specific ideas. Mm. And so I remember really being excited about that process and that was fiction. So I started with fiction and then in sixth grade, I was introduced to poetry and <laughs> kind of took off from there. But no, I don't remember really being influenced by the literary scene until, um, I don't know, probably three years ago, to be honest. Cause oh, I, nice. yeah, like I, I went through this funk um, where I didn't write for a really long time. And then in 2018, I was just like, you know what, I'm starting this back up. And I started signing up for open mics and, and I would, I did a reading for Ann Arbor pride a couple of different times. And so that's when I started experiencing it and realizing that I was, I missed out on a lot. Mm. So when, and, and not to pry about, you know, the beginnings, but just to kind of set the stage a bit. Um, do you remember what your initial writings were about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, <laughs> for poetry, um, I remember I wrote this poem called Long Live the King, and it was about a lion in the jungle. And I remember that my classmates, as well as my teachers, were really impressed by this poem. And I didn't think it was anything special, but I was like, <laughs> maybe there's something to this. And then I started writing other poems. Um, like I remember one called the Russian spy and it was about this kid that I crush on and um, (laughs) another one called one 800 dog bite. (laughs) um, I don't know. Those are really fun to write. And then of course I discovered how to be really cranky and angsty. And so I started writing about stuff like that, but Mm. writing fiction, and, you know, a little bit younger. I, I remember specifically there was this short story I wrote in fifth grade and I think it was called the hunted. Mm. And it was about this, this guy, this hunter going through um, the, I think it was the jungle. It might've been the woods and he's tracking this, this monster that everyone says is uncatchable and unhuntable. And um, <laughs> he, he finds them and it's more than, he can handle and he ends up running away from the monster. And at the the last second, like the monster is on him. He just throws himself to the ground on his knees and starts praying, like, please let this monster be a Christian. And then the, the monster catches up to him. And right before he eats him, prays for his dinner. 
like, you know, please God bless this dinner that I'm about to receive. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was tickled pink by that story, but something strange happened like 15 years later where I found a similar poem or not poem story Mm. somewhere else. I read that and I was like, Hey, I wrote this when I was, yeah. And so kind of the first time that I encountered, um, I don't know what it's called specifically, but I know the name for it where creative people have similar ideas and it's not, you know, it's not plagiarism. We just. Sure. You're in the same frequency, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I was like, I wrote this. So you, you had mentioned in a recent interview that you did that you, you did accounting by, by trade that kind of supplemented your creative work. I'm curious how you, you arrived at that profession, if I may, because I'm very interested in how work influences the writing we do. And I'm just curious how that path unfolded for you. You're, you're going to think I'm nuts, but (laughs) (laughs) the reason that I got into accounting, um, I guess is partly my mother's fault and then partly, um, my fault for being such a jerk to myself. Um, (laughs) so my mom always wanted to be an accountant and that path didn't really work out for her, but she, I knew that she wanted to be an accountant growing up. And so it was always in the back of my mind. Mm. And, um, to segue a little bit, I, I wasn't very challenged in high school. I was valedictorian very easily. Like I mm. kind of just raised through high school and then I got to college and it, it wasn't the case, um, where, well, that's not true. Like some things came easier. And then I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And I was like, let's try an accounting class because my mom wanted to be an accountant. Maybe I want to too. So I tried the the intro class and it was the hardest thing that I had done to date. Like I oh, could man. figure out the difference between debits and credits to save my life. And, <laughs> and I did, you know, it clicked and I realized that I really liked that challenge. So I think that creatively like writing comes naturally to me. But then I've got this other piece in my life that doesn't, that I have to work very hard at. <laughs> and I just, I think about it sometimes. I'm like, why did you challenge yourself like that? <laughs> why didn't you do something easier? Because now, like, if something doesn't come easy to me, if I'm not figuring out how to balance a, a GL rec, then I'm very frustrated. I'm like, Come on, think, think. Mm. And it's just... I like to torture myself, I guess. <laughs> but I, I imagine it's almost like you're operating on two different parts of your brain, right? So you have your day job brain and then you have your your creative brain. Is that kind of how it is or, or is there no separation between these two areas? There is separation. However, they often overlap. So I can be working on spreadsheets all day long, doing my accounting thing. And then all of a sudden an idea will pop in my head. And for a long time, I thought that I couldn't act on that. Like I had to put my nose to the, you know, the grinder and get work done. And there was no me time. And and then I realized it's stupid. (laughs) Um, And I, I started like I remember being at a bank and I would take the receipt slips that we had and I would just start jotting ideas down 
or I would doodle like some of the customers coming in. I would, I would doodle them. I would do caricatures just to keep the creative juices flowing. Um, the other side of things, I, I do so many spreadsheets for my writing. Like really, Yeah. So I've got um, a spreadsheet for contacting bookstores and libraries. Uh, If um, like sales for my book that's out right now, good morning to everyone except men who name their dog Zeus, like I'm tracking consignments and sales and anything that I've been, uh, I've donated or purchases that have come through on Twitter, things like that. And so like every piece of my life is tracked on a spreadsheet. Um, so that's what I mean. Like they are separate, but they often overlap. Right. And it happens to give you a lot of organization, a lot of, uh, direction in a sense. It kind of structures things, which is very, very, uh, handy for any creative person who tends to be a bit scatterbrained sometimes. So that, that seems like you got the best of several worlds. Now, could you tell me about your badass poetry collection? I just have to say, I love <laughs> the title of this. It's such a, statement it's such an image and i'm curious how this originated because i i think if i'm not mistaken it's a very uh peculiar story right um peculiar in the sense that when i tell people about it they're like oh i've never encountered that before but it's very it's like a really easy concept um it was really just i dated this guy who had a dog named zeus and growing up as um, as I did, like loving Greek mythology, something didn't add up. I'm like, well, why would you name your dog Zeus when Zeus is a serial rapist? Like that's mm. terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that things obviously didn't work out. Um, and then I met another guy with a dog named Zeus. And I was <laughs> wow. like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> what what is this? Um, and first when I I I talk to people about it. They're like, no, I've never encountered that. But I decided to roll with the idea anyway. And I I wrote, um, the collection started off as one poem, which was called Good Morning to Everyone Except Men Who Name Their Dog Zeus. <laughs> and then I decided that I would write more on it. Like I built it into a, a micro chap. So I added some, some stories of how Zeus had been a predator. Um, so I've got stories about like, or poems about Callisto and Europa and um, all these other ones. Lita, is, which is one of the leading poems in the story. And then I, I built it a little bit more into a chapbook because I realized that it wasn't very personal. Um, and I wanted it to be personal for it to be able to give it what I wanted to, the gravity that I wanted it to. I needed to bring myself into the work. So I started writing um, poems about my my own personal experiences, and then I sent that chapbook off to Cephalo Press, who had an open call, and they they wrote back and they were like, "Hey, Lanny, we love this. However, we only publish full length." And, oh. and then I had misread the the open call, and I was like, "Oh no, I was devastated. I'm like, I'm oh, so darn sorry. it." Yeah. Um, but they're like, no, 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 don't apologize. We want more. Can you build this out and send it back to us? So I took the next couple of months and did just that. And it ended up being a full length. Oh, lovely. Um, so this was a process of about under a year then where, where you started to put these things together or was that a longer process to kind of think out the idea? 
No, it it, it probably took uh, about a year. Um, I've realized that once I have an idea to focus on, I'm actually pretty prolific. <laughs> uh, like I I can take a chapbook idea, and I this was a challenge I did once where I took a chapbook idea and I built the chapbook in a month's time. Hmm. So I realized as long as I have something to focus on, I can hyper focus on that. So is writer's block a thing then in, in that regard, or do you feel that you have to let things kind of simmer for a while? Or has that ever been a problem for you where you had a, some downtime where you said nothing's really coming to the, into the fray? Yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about that, whether or not writer's block is a thing. And for me personally, I think the writer, writer's block comes when I'm not allowing myself to write unedited. Um, so I've got this terrible habit of when I write, I edit as I go. And so I'm just focusing on this, this one line, this one paragraph, and I really need to just get the idea down and then go back to it and, and fix and tweak. And so I have been training myself to do that. And it's been semi-successful. Like I, <laughs> I started a couple of different novels and as I'm editing, as I'm going, I, I, I keep dropping off. Like I've, I'll get 16,000 words into it and then I drop off 30,000 words and I drop off and, uh, or not even that sometimes like recently I did 6,000 words and I dropped off. Oh um, man. When we were in lockdown in 2020, I told myself to just write a hundred words a day on this middle grade novel that I wanted to write. And um, I also decided to outline before starting, which I think set me up for success. Mm -hmm. So I know exactly what I'm writing about when I'm going into a chapter. And um, I did it. I, I finished it. I have not gone back through the first chapter but I at least finished it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that, that's amazing. I, I think that we could all benefit from a little bit of structure and a little bit of that kind of determination to say, sometimes the magic is not going to manifest itself from the ether or anything like that. We have to will it to, to be here in front of us through an outline or through some kind of structure like that. Can you tell me about, <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, but have you ever just kind of been going about your day and then something strikes you and you're like, I'm going to write a poem today. I'm going to yeah. write a story. Yeah. Like you just feel it in your bones. Absolutely. That's amazing. <laughs> I love when that happens. And, and we do pray or we do sort of yearn for those moments, but we know that they're not going to happen all the time, right? They're going to, no. they're, they're going to be here few and far between. Uh, so I'm really kind of intrigued by, by that prolific nature of just saying yes to what the, the subconscious is wanting to say to you in the moment and, and not censoring oneself. That's such a skill <laughs> to, to master. That's beautifully put. Yeah. Now you correct me if I'm wrong here. You have this other collection, right? Called little masticated darlings. Is that correct? Yes, that was my first publication um, as far as like a collection of work, Little Masticated Darlings. Now, this synopsis completely blew my mind. And I'm curious about why this intrigued you, how this came to be, because it sounds like such a, an intense project. And I'm just curious what drew you to the subject matter. If you could give us a little bit of background and what that project's about. 
It's always a little tricky to talk about this because it's not my story. And I had to come to it very delicately. But I remember um, going through some pictures with my mom and there was this photo of this blonde haired guy in maybe his late thirties or something. And he had these big old, uh, big old glasses and he was holding me. Like I was in his arms and I was maybe three years old Mm -hmm. and I had no memory of this. I didn't know who the guy was. And I, I asked my mom, like, who is that? And she just said, that's Ron Bailey. That is all she told me. And I had to end up like asking, um, asking uh, family members about it. Like who's Ron Bailey, what's going on? Everything was kind of hush hush. But um, after gathering a little bit of information, I, I found out that he was this, um, this guy who was in, who was incarcerated for murdering uh, two boys in the eighties. Oh goodness. So I, you know, I Googled him and and found out more information, like who the boys were and that um, there had been an, um, an instance where like a, there could have been a murder that was stopped. Like the, the boy had been choked. And so I, I believe that um, there are probably other, um, other murders out there that he's done other things and we just don't know about it. But so finding out that this man who had done these terrible things had been so close to my family, like my, my mom apparently was engaged to him. Oh, wow. yeah. And my brother called him daddy. <laughs> um, my brother is six and a half years old than I am. So he got to spend more time with this, this man. I didn't, I think, I think he was in jail before I was even born to be oh, honest. Goodness. Um, and my mom, my mom is gone now. Uh, I can't ask her questions, obviously, which mm. I regret that not, not about learning more about Ron Bailey, just learning more about her and like the experiences that she's had, but sure. learning one like th- this huge thing about my mom, like, wow. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I decided I needed to talk about that and, and dig in a little bit deeper. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. I, I didn't know that this was, this story was interconnected with your, your own history. And I, I think that, um, there is something about, I wouldn't say secrets, but just maybe some information that wasn't readily available you know at the time when when we were growing up how does that how does that paint your relationship with your mom like does it change the way that you think about your mom or does it um do you feel uh, additional empathy for your mom for being in that situation how does that color the the connection that you have with her well i didn't realize things were we're going to get this deep, but that's okay. I'm sorry. I, and I apologize. I I don't mean to, I don't mean to pry. So feel free to, uh, to stop me. I'm, I'm just uh, genuinely curious, but, uh, not, um, not intending to poke or or probe around. (laughs) Oh no, you're you're fine. And I am very open about things. I, um, I don't mind answering the question, but, um, I have another chat book called strange furniture, which delves into my relationship with my mother, which is, Mm which is difficult. Um, growing up, she had a lot of people in and out of the house, a lot of strangers, um, a lot of, a lot of men, a lot of alcoholics. And so life wasn't particularly stable for me. Um, and I really felt safe with these people. And as I've grown older and 
kind of thought more about the situation, I've come to the the terms that she did what she thought was best at, at the time. Um, and she also found these people to be a family that she thought she didn't have because she had a lot of um, issues growing up as well and pushed away her family. Mm. And there's like, um, there are accounts from both sides. So I don't really know how things went, but I, you know, I assume that she felt like she didn't have family. So she built her own and that's where these people come in. But I, growing up, I never felt that way. These people were not my family. Mm. So when I learned the story about Ronald Bailey, um, my question was, well, why would you have this man who is a convicted killer of little kids hold your daughter? Mm. So that was really what kept going through my mind. Like I, I've been held by this man who could very well be a serial killer. And why would you let him do that? And so I've been kind of teetering with that and struggling and I don't know what the answer is. Like, obviously mm -hmm. she had some sort of relationship and trust built with this man. Um, and I don't think I'm ever going to understand because mm -hmm. I personally wouldn't have my daughter be touched by um, someone that I knew has murdered kids. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But there's been some sort of need that was being met for her. So. All right. Well, I, again, I appreciate uh, you sharing that because it, it gives us a little bit of of context there in, in the work, but it seems that there has been solace in the writing and you have brought a lot of these things to, to light to maybe share that experience to make others feel not so alone in, in their hour of grief or, or heartbreak or, or sadness. Um, did, do you feel that it's over time provided that kind of healing or at least a little bit of, of additional additional solace for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I will never, ever say that writing is a substitute for therapy. I think therapy is really important, but I can also recognize that writing is very cathartic um, and found healing through writing. So writing Little Masticated Darlings has helped heal um, my feelings about this situation. <laughs> my cats are going nuts. <laughs> oh. Love those cats. Um, if, yeah. If there's like bells and, and, and things going off, it's just my cats playing. Just let um, me know their names so I can introduce them. Like we can have intermissions. That's totally cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Remind uh, me and I'll tell you them. Um, and then writing strange furniture has helped me come to grips with the relationship with my mom. Writing good morning to everyone except men who name their dogs Zeus has helped me come to grips with my own sexual assault experiences. So definitely, um, I have had tremendous amount of healing through my own writing. You have been, uh, from what I could tell on Twitter, and thank goodness for Twitter, I think, but you were able to successfully use this platform to build your own community in a way, and it's yielded some opportunities. Do you feel that there's a, a better way to do this, or is Twitter a, an ideal way to create connection and community? in the areas of creative writing or poetry specifically? Ooh, good question. Um, Twitter is my favorite social media platform. 
And I, I love it in the sense that, yes, it helps build community and find finding friends um, and writers that you can connect with and grow with. And I really appreciate it. But Twitter has a dark side that I don't particularly love. Um, and when you are Twitter's, um, I don't know, if you're in the hot seat on Twitter and, and you're being antagonized, um, that is not a good feeling. And I have been in that hot seat. So I, I try not to think about how quickly these people that you've come to rely on and to consider friends can turn on you. I'm not saying everyone, but there have definitely been some people that I didn't expect them to react the way they did once when I was in the hot seat. Um, so Twitter, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt. And I think it's, it has its purposes, it has its uses, but you also have to recognize that um, you don't know people as well as you think you do, especially if they're not, you know, you, you can have IRL friends and not know them as well as you think you do. So mm-hmm. I, if you extrapolate that for people that you've met online, just imagine the surprises that there can be. Yeah. And, but I found some incredible people that I trust and consider friends. Um, like I, the person that comes to mind uh, is Maddie Corley. I, I met her through Baron magazine when she was a poetry editor and I was a contributing editor. Um, we both moved up the ranks, but she was just, she's in Georgia. She lives in Georgia, but she just came to Michigan to be at my baby shower. Oh so, goodness. Yeah. So like Congratulations. That, thank you. Um, I met her online in 2018 and we've built this incredible friendship and, and now, you know, we're very good in real life friends. So things like that can happen on Twitter as well. I think it's magical. So that's been your experience with Baron magazine. Like it's a, a community where you are finding, well, I guess you're finding that community through through the work that you're doing there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm no longer with Baron. Um, oh, I okay. stepped back um, at the end of the year because my, my wife was pregnant and I knew my life was going right. to change. <laughs> I needed to kind of shear off some responsibilities, um, but right. I left in, in good terms. Like the, the EIC there is like, if you want to come back anytime, I'd love to have you. And, um, but yes, I, I think that my view on the writing community really changed once I became an editor, because now I get to see, um, I get to, to be, I get to read pieces, um, that I wouldn't normally read. Like mm-hmm. these are people that haven't been published yet. So you don't get a chance to read them. You're privileged to read them before before they're out and seeing like different styles of writing really helped my own writing grow. Um, sending rejection emails and acceptances um, has helped me understand that side of things. So I know, I mean, I always knew that where there was a person on the other end, but now I really know it. And I know that like, nobody's trying to hurt your feelings. They're just making these decisions that they think are best for their magazine. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. And it also um, helped me learn how to be a leader because I, I mentioned that I moved up the ranks and at the end there, I was a, a managing editor. Um, so I got a chance to, to lead people 
And I've been told that I was a good leader. Maybe there are definitely some, <laughs> there were some times where I doubted that, but I think that's, that's what leaders do. Sometimes they doubt themselves. And as long as they're leading by example, and I think I do, then we're in good shape. But um, working with Baron Magazine definitely changed my, my writer's life. Mm. And because I can take that, that leadership experience to accounting, really. For sure. Yeah. And it definitely seems like it sharpens that barometer, right? Where like you start to get more in tune with what you like, what you don't like and, and what, what is effective, right? In, yes. in just about everything. Now, being part of a family, starting your own family, how does that affect your writing or does that become a competition or, or even being in a relationship, does that, does that change your writing habits? Yeah, um, absolutely. Like when I first started getting really serious um, with my my wife, obviously, like girlfriend at the time, mm. we, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're in a and you're in the beginning of a relationship, all you want to do is spend time with each other and like <laughs> our priorities that you once had that are no longer priorities. And then when you start getting into that space where you do want alone time and you want to do the things that you used to want to do. Um, there's like this growth period, right? Where you have to explain, I still love you just as much as I did. Just now I want to focus on some other things. So there were some growing pains there where um, she like maybe thought that I didn't want to spend time with her and I did, but I also want to spend time with my writing because this is important to me as well. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that priorities are going to shift again once the baby is born in May. Um, and I'm going to, I think that one is a, a little trickier because you can't talk to the baby and be like, <laughs> I love you, but I also want to write. So you have to have that conversation with, um, you know, with your spouse and saying, I'm absolutely here for the baby. We're going to figure out this balancing act because I don't want to give up writing. And I don't think that I'm being asked to give up writing. I want to be a present parent. I'm going to be a present parent, but I don't want to um, fully give up these other things that I love as well. So I'm just going to have to figure out the timing of it. Like maybe Mm -hmm. we have this agreement where an hour a day I can go into my office and and write or something like that. Um, We have honestly, like it, the, the fact that this new life is is on the horizon is a lot of pressure and it's exciting, but it's mm-hmm. also terrifying. So <laughs> not I am not in the position right now to negotiate because I do not know how my life is going to be upended. And mm-hmm. once I do, once I have that information and I have more um more of an idea of how my life is going to un- unfold then we can talk about bringing writing back <laughs> at this point though it's just i've told people hey don't contact me in may <laughs> like absolutely not um so i don't have any uh, i do have one reading scheduled which is in the beginning of may but i've made it a point not to schedule anything for like the next um month at least because i know i'm going to be out of my mind trying to figure out how to be a parent <laughs> Well, I just have to say that, uh, well, for again, congratulations, because you are entering you. such a, a beautiful chapter of your life, you and your wife, and it's going to be, it's going to be a remarkable journey for you. And I'm, 
that always makes me really happy because I, I love being a dad. It's, it's my, my favorite thing in the whole world. Mm -hmm. And just when somebody is on, is on the verge of that, I, I kind of get emotional just thinking about some of the wonderful things that happened during that time. Sure enough, it's hard, but, uh, you know, in my thinking very much worth it and oh. so rewarding. So I'm just very, very happy for you. Uh, you have but, a, a piece of advice you'd like to give me? Well, I would say, um, go easy on yourself. And that, that's really it. I mean, just enjoying what you have in the moment and appreciate every single minute because it felt like yesterday when my, my son's going to be nine or he just turned nine a month ago. And I remember holding him. Mm -hmm. I remember like it was just yesterday. And so time is a tricky thing. Being able to embrace everything good or bad as it's happening. I think that's the key. And, and forgive each other, forgive yourself and love as much as humanly possible, because it's just, it's a perfect time. So I really wish you the best. I think it's going to be great. Thank you. In terms of readings, how has that experience been for you getting up there in front of people and perform, not performing necessarily, but presenting your, your work out loud? So it's interesting. Um, the, I don't know how technology works sometimes. Um, and I think that that's a weird way to move into this conversation or answering your question. But um, like I have, if any time that I visit Facebook on the computer I'm on right now, mm -hmm. it automatically brings me to this page of where I did a reading with um, Glad Day Bookstore, which is in Canada. I did a, a virtual reading last year. Mm. And for some reason, it, it never gets off that particular link. So anytime on Facebook, I see myself pop up. Um, and the other day I, I had my computer muted. Um, like you have experienced, I accidentally <laughs> mute my computer sometimes. And, and I got to see myself do this reading without any, any sound. And I couldn't believe how much energy I had. Um, mm. I, I feel like I live in this perpetual place where I don't have any energy. Um, and if I do, I, I definitely overdo it. And then I don't have <laughs> any at all the next day. Um, I finally had a beautiful day in Michigan yesterday and I was just on the move, on the move. But by the time 10 o'clock rolled around, um, Kate, my wife, we were watching Turning Red, um, the new Disney oh, movie. Yeah. It's so good. But mm -hmm. I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was exhausted. <laughs> um, but, it, but I realized, though, that um, writing and performing really give me that energy. And I knew that I loved it. But mm. when I saw myself, I, like, it was just a completely different level where, okay, this is actually what I love to do. Um, and it's terrifying. I mm. think performance performances are terrifying and I'm always super nervous. Like I was tapping my foot before our interview, um, because you oh, know, it's, goodness. it's a type of, of performance, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I was really nervous for this, but I've got to say you are wonderful and you like your questions are informed and I feel really comfortable. So thank you for that. You're a wonderful. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> But I, you know, like, I also feel myself be becoming very energetic with you and like, um, and I, I don't think that that would happen if I wasn't talking about <laughs> I love. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's still pretty terrifying. I think that's that's the thing is like I've uh I studied acting, I did theater, you know, I've been on stage countless times, but even these moments before the interview, I'm still kind of shaking it off and feeling like I have to get in the zone. I have to I have to, you know, do things the the best possible way so that people feel comfortable and and so I totally get that feeling of like we we just have to be clear. We have to be free of all of these things that are haunting us sometimes. But I got a couple more questions just to be respectful of your time. Um, Can I I'm, say real quick though, um, yeah. because I, I was listening to, to some other episodes that you had and, and learned that you have a theater background. I just wanted mm. to say that I do too. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. I, yes. I went to theater yes. camp a couple of summers, you know, three summers in a row. And the, the first time I would only help other people with their performances. And then the second time I finally had a couple of my own. And then the third time they had to cut performances for me because they're like <laughs> too many. Um, so I think that I, I definitely did a service to myself by being in the theater um, in being in theater and mm -hmm. like helping myself with the performance aspect of, of writing. Oh, bless you. Because we need that. Right. I, yeah. I want to be a, uh, an advocate for the arts, especially theater, because all of our kids need to, uh, need to be in theater class. I a hundred percent agree. That would be fun. Yeah. 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 They'd have um, a blast with that. Most kids. Anyway. So you, <laughs> you mentioned that there was a time when you weren't writing at all. And I'm curious what that did for your quality of life. I'm curious how that changed you. Because I know when I, when I went a long time without writing, I felt like I wasn't myself, but I'm curious what that experience was like for you. No, I mean, that, that's what it was. I went through this terrible episode in my life where I, you know, like I broke up with my long-term boyfriend and I broke up with my long-term best friend, um, oh. like this friendship that I had grown up on, basically. Um, I broke up with my family because we had a, a falling out um, and I didn't like I was staying at my mom's and I didn't feel safe anymore and I was just like I'm done and mm -hmm. so I ended up um, there was this house that I was buying but I it, things hadn't gone through yet so I left my mom's house and I squatted in the house that I was going to buy for weeks oh, because wow. I had to go and I also had um, this dog bite because it was one of the catalysts for leaving my mom's house is that um, her dog bit me and she didn't like, she didn't even seem to care. Like oh. I was in the emergency room and she's like, don't tell them the dog did it. And I'm like, oh, who goodness. want to know it's a dog. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was so bad that they, they had to stitch it and they don't like to stitch dog bites because of infections, but they had to do that. So like, mm -hmm. I was just through this really rough period of my life. And I, um, I became depressed and it probably lasted five years or so. Mm. Um, and the way that I ended up getting out of it is by forcing myself to be around people that I cared about. Yeah. So if a friend invited me to something, even though the last thing I wanted to do was do that, uh, to go to that thing, I did it anyway. And I showed up and I found that once I showed up, I felt better being around people that I knew loved me. and so. Doing that slowly got me out of that funk. And I feel kind of bad when I think on it because I met my wife during that time. Mm. And 
when I started feeling like myself again, she was like, you're a completely different person. I don't even know you. And I'm like, oh. I'm, I know you don't know me and we have to relearn each other or you at least have to relearn me. Um, and it was a, it was a struggle for us, but we got past it and, you know, we, she knows who I am now and, and she still <laughs> loves me. <laughs> so I, I'm so thankful for that, but it was, it was so rough and I wasn't writing. And finally, um, my, I had a friend, Jason B. Crawford. Who I went Oh, I lost you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> there you are. Oh, Man, goodness. that was, that was a rigmarole. <laughs> so I got to tell you, you were on a roll. You had like this beautiful thing going and I'm sorry that I don't even know what happened there. <laughs> it, it must be me because I don't have internet on my laptop anymore. So oh, no. it's pretty, it's pretty windy here. They might've knocked something out. I don't know. Oh, oh I see. Well, not a worry. I just, uh, I was hoping to see if you'd be able to finish your thought on that. Uh, and then I had one more question to, to kind of wrap it up if that's okay. Um, oh yes. I, I think I remember where I was at. So Jason asked me to do a reading at Ann Arbor Pride and I did it. Um, and I had this awful poem. Like I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I read that, <laughs> but, um, the crowd seemed to like it anyway, and it got me out of my shell. And I realized that it was something that I wanted to continue doing. And I did. Like, I ended up doing another Ann Arbor Pride with better poems this time and doing some open mics, and then finally got my own feature a couple of times. And it, that's really what I've been, it just kind of been chugging along since then. Oh, lovely. And lastly, I, I want to ask you one of those two-part questions because I, I just go on and on, so I apologize ahead of time. How do you define success as a poet? And why do we need poetry in our communities in this day and age? I think I want to answer the second one first. Um, poetry is important because it gives us this ability to express our feelings um in really creative ways like i don't and creative in in my experience succinct like i i can write a four line poem and hopefully anyway <laughs> successfully be able to explain how i'm feeling about something and it can be about a plant or you know like a gopher or something and that people can still understand it. And I don't think that fiction always allows that. Like mm. there are certain rules that fiction follows. And I think we are getting better about getting out of those rules and being more creative. But um, I just think poetry allows a creativity that other medium, um, others don't. And like also on a personal level, like when I am writing, um, I've got a new book coming out called Something Dead and Everything. And in it, I'm talking about grief. And none of these stories are personal, but at the same time, they are very personal. However, with my poetry, I almost always write um, autobiographical. And I know that that's not the case for all poets, but it's the case for me. Mm. So 
Um, if you read something, it's probably something that I've been through or that I'm going through or that I imagine that I'm going through. Um, so it's very autobiographical. And for me, fiction and creative nonfiction don't allow that. It's just they're not forms that I've been able to express myself in. And then the other question, um, which if you can repeat just so that I've got a handle on it. How do you define success as a poet? That's right. Um, I was just talking about this yesterday. So I gave a, a workshop for Kalamazoo Poetry Festival, and I was talking about how to get your book into bookstores and the libraries and like to, to get readings out of libraries and bookstores and to just basically promote your book. And the thing that I find very important to stress is that you need to have fun because if you're not having fun promoting, then I can't imagine that people are having fun um, with your promotion, like they're not being drawn to your promotion. Um, but another thing that I stressed is open mics. So if in open mics and readings, um, doesn't matter how many people are there listening to you, if you can reach one new person, I consider that a success. So I've been to readings where there have been hundreds of people, just like the Ann Arbor Poetry or Ann Arbor Pride Festival. Um, and I've been to some that just recently, my very first in-person reading since the pandemic happened, there were only four people in the audience, one of which was my wife. Mm -hmm. Another was the librarian that set the reading up. A third person was my friend that drove down to support me. There was only one stranger in that audience, and yet I chose the right story to read out loud to her. Um, I chose um, one of my stories called Like Butter. It's this girl who lives on a farm and has a, a stepfather that she doesn't like, and kind of she imagines him dying in different ways. Like she doesn't want to kill him, but she just wants him to magically leave the situation. Mm -hmm. And this, this woman who walked in halfway through my reading and heard this story was blown away. She's like, I grew up on a pig farm and I had a, a father that was an alcoholic and I didn't like him. And I imagined him, him just dying one day and I didn't want him to die, but sometimes I did, you know what I mean? And I was mm -hmm. like, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> um, and so even that one person, that one new person meant so much to me and i think that's how i define success is if i can reach one person with my writing that's that makes a difference oh that's just remarkable and well it feels like we just scratched the surface and we didn't talk too much about fiction or prose but hopefully you know if there's another opportunity to do that i'd love to uh, to talk to you about that but we could go on and on as as we've said <laughs> you know we have a lot to talk about but for the time being i really want to thank you for your time uh, lanny for taking the time to share these insights with me for your courage for your craft i mean there's just so much that we can glean from your work that will give us all courage and inspiration to to be stronger and to overcome. And I'm just very, very happy that I got to talk to you today. And of course, congratulations on this amazing new chapter that you're starting with your family. And I hope, I do hope that we get to talk again down the road sometime. 
Oh, absolutely. I would love that. I've, I've had a wonderful time with, with you. I think you ask important questions that other people don't often ask. So thank you for your time and your energy, Jaime. It's been a great, it's been a great experience. Awesome. Well, I will leave you be. I hope you enjoy the Sunday and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.